Welcome to Intelligogy with Tracy Browder, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. It is Friday Fundamentals, and that means Kavita Tana is here. Hi, Kavita. Hi, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm, I'm even better now that we're talking together for Friday Fundamentals. It's a day that I always look forward to. Um, so friends, if you if this is your first time listening in, I would really encourage you to jump back to some of the previous Friday Fundamentals episodes. Um, Kavita Tana is the Deputy Director at Inspire Citizens. And the work that she does, um, they're global, it's a global reach. And we were just talking just before we went on live and we were actually honestly kind of brainstorming because together we have so many ideas and so many different things we want to discuss. We always kind of have to, at the beginning of before each episode that we go live, we're like, okay, where, where are we parking today? And today's conversation, Oh my goodness. So let me set it up for you. Um, we're going to talk globally. I, I asked Kavita to just tell me about her day and it's actually intriguing and inspiring for educators. And I want to bring us into some global lenses for just a few moments that we spend our time together today. And that's what Kavita's going to do. And so I'm not going to speak any further on that piece, but I just need you to know that the conversation is going to be a little bit different today because we're going to look at education in different parts of the world. Where are institutions of education in terms of COVID-19? How are they preparing to return back to school? Um, what are the thought processes? Does it look different from region to region in the world? Maybe some areas are not even really heavily impacted by COVID-19. So today we are fortunate enough to be able to look through some global lenses. And Kavita, I just want to thank you for taking us on this journey with you. You're very welcome, Tracy. It is quite funny to think about, you know, how I described my day today. And, you know, like even if I sort of include the last sort of 48 hours, really, um, because my day started yesterday morning in Shanghai in China. And uh, throughout the day yesterday, I was popping in and out from different parts of the United States and um, then, you know, sort of popped into Saudi Arabia at one point. And then this morning I was in New Zealand and then a couple of countries in Africa. And uh, yeah, then popped back to London for a bit. <laughs> you know, it's kind of literally just felt like I was just jumping around on a world map. It was very funny. <laughs> so first question before we dig in, how do you keep track of it all? Dealing with... Um, one part of the world to the next, to the next, to the next, and all the different time zones. How do you manage that? That's the first question. <laughs> so, um, yes, I do have to have a certain amount of organization. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, sending calendar invites is, is a thing and making sure that, you know, like I allocate time for, for all of the different um, meetings that I have, but also for some personal, you know, sort of self-care time as well. So, um, I have a very beautiful multicolored Google calendar um, where, where each <laughs> color represents a different activity. And, um, and yeah, so it just means that, you know, as I'm sort of setting up all these different meetings that, you know, like I have, I have technology supporting that process to make sure that, you know, if I put it in because we've agreed a time that's local to, 
the person that I'm going to be meeting with that it definitely converts it to the correct time in England because it can happen mm. you know, that the time zone calculations just don't quite work out but yeah Oh, yeah, yeah. because when we talked last week, um, <laughs> the, the schedule that we have come up with to talk has kind of been designed around your very interesting schedule. Um, <laughs> if I remember right, you were having in, in your time zone, you were having some conversations and meetings in the wee hours of the morning. So even your sleep pattern <laughs> has to be somewhat different Um trying to navigate conversations and, and meetings in all parts of the world, right? Exactly. So um, for the last three weeks, I've been having um, middle of the night conversations with a school out in Beijing. So for me, it was 1am for three of the nights and then 1am and 2.30am for one of them and then um, another sort of couple of 2.30am uh, conversations. And, and you know, when it when you when it's for work, you want to make sure that you're there and you're fully present but you still have you know your daytime hours to do other things and connecting with other parts of the world so for me you know I didn't want to make that mistake of like oh I'll just sleep for a few hours so I just pulled out for the full 20 or 21 hour days and and then it was like okay now I'm gonna go and crash so <laughs> so so yeah so that's you know it's everyone's different right but for me that was the best coping mechanism because that way I knew that I was definitely going to be there and be on time and be present. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I, I know so many people, even people who may know you personally, may not necessarily, or, or at least know you and connect with you on social media, may have no idea of the varied hours that you have to keep. So now let's transition into what does the conversation look like um, in the various areas of the world that you have been interacting with um, different schools? What, what are you seeing in terms of where these organizations and schools are at in terms of COVID-19, preparing to return to school? I know we shared before we went live that, you know, in some areas, it's not quite the impact as it is, for instance, even in the States. So talk on that for a few minutes and tell us what you're seeing in these conversations. Sure. So let me speak directly to the um, example that you just alluded to, which is that I spoke to a teacher in New Zealand this morning and um, she was explaining to me that it's been very much business as usual. The number of cases in her area in New Zealand has been negligible. And so um, so there hasn't been any kind of experience of shutdown at all. Um, so, you know, school has con continued as normal. Um, obviously being in the southern hemisphere there you know their sort of school year is slightly different and so on but um but yeah it's just a different different experience entirely for me to hear that yep she's still very much with the students you know that there's still very much a, a, a normal school day normal interactions not really any physical distancing going on surprised me somewhat um because you know, when I've spoken to friends in Australia, there is um, physical distancing going on. And I hadn't really sort of had any connection with anyone in New Zealand to learn that before. So so that was interesting. But, um, you know, another different experience to what we're having both in the US and in England with um, schools being shut down is that um, in China, they've gone back to schools pretty much normally as well in, in terms of the school that I was working with in Shanghai and um, 
and were some of the grade levels in Beijing. So, you know, so I guess what I would say is that the school in Shanghai has gone back um, pretty much um, to normality, but the ones in Beijing are still having a sort of staggered entry um, into mm-hmm. sort of, you know, which grade levels are, are back to school or not. Let me ask you a question about that specifically. I, I've been seeing some reports on the news. Certain areas of China are seeing their second wave, if you will, of um, COVID-19. Are you hearing how that is impacting schools and the people in various areas of China? Yes. So the experiences that I'm hearing about at the moment is that there are some um, educators that because Um, And I don't remember if we've mentioned this before, but when COVID-19 was sort of, you know, announced to the world as a, you know, as a, as a disease that um, means that, you know, people need to sort of lock down or, or, you know, physically distance and so on. um, That all was released around the time of Chinese New Year holiday. So a lot of the international teachers were actually away from China and a lot of them hadn't yet returned. Um, and so, you know, particularly my friends um, that are teachers um, that were based in Beijing as opposed to in Shanghai um, have not gone back yet. Um, but they, there are some that are back there already. But what had happened as far as I've heard so far is that people were allowed to start traveling internally in China. And that's what's created sort of this second wave, because by all accounts, you know, um, the Chinese government were doing, you know, taking all the necessary steps to make sure that if anyone comes back into the country from anywhere, then, you know, they weren't landing in a major city. They, you know, they were required to complete the um, quarantine period and things like that. But apparently it seems to have been sort of from the internal travel that um, that there's been, an, uh, you know, an increase in cases again. But actually, I'm I'm due to speak with a friend of mine in Beijing tomorrow morning, so I'll get more, some more information from her. Have you seen? Um, first of all, I certainly hope that um, the cases end up going on the downslide. I mean, I know once we all start moving around, and not just um, there, but where COVID-19 has impacted people the hardest and, and once, you know, um, once rules and regulations are lifted and people start moving a lot more, there, there, there has been no vaccine, there, there's no cure, if you will. So there's, there's nothing to say, you know, green light, no more COVID-19, go forth and be fine. Um, So now I feel like it's kind of becoming, how do we function with COVID-19? And I I know there are scientists and medical professionals who are still working diligently behind the scenes to try to create a vaccine. But in the meantime, um, for you know, economy and normalcy and all these types of things, there's so many conversations of us um, getting back to normal that, you know, with that comes an increase in cases. And so I just have to wonder forward thinking, what does that look like for education? You know, particularly here in the States, um, we're dealing with several contingency plans. Um, you know, do we 
all go back to school and and have precautions in place? Is it a blended environment where um, we go some days and we're home some days? Is it, um, you know, half of your class is in class one day and the other half is at home and you're, you know, alternating that way? I mean, there are just so many scenarios and it's like, how do you make the best decision? It's it's hard to make a decision now and things could change and evolve by the time it's time for school to actually start. So are you involved with conversations like that um, with principals and educators that you're connecting with around the world? What that That's kind of the scenario that I shared in the States. What are you seeing globally um, in terms of decisions? Sure. So if we um, sort of, again, circle back to what's happened in China with some schools making the decision per grade level. So I guess, you know, my starting point with this is to say that there is no one size fits all. Um, and mm-hmm. when I say that, I really mean it to to the extent that, you know, even within a school, when you're thinking about each individual grade level, when you're thinking about each ev- individual sort of subject, um, expert, you know, um, I'm literally sort of thinking to that degree that there is no one size fits all. That's definitely the running theme of, um, you know, of all of the conversations that I'm having. Um, so, you know, as I say, in, in the school in Shanghai, everyone's gone back, everything's normal. Um, you know, in Beijing, it's, you know, be, decisions are being made according to grade levels. Um, then, you know, we can come to England. In England, um, in a lot of schools, they've uh, had the younger kids go back to school first, um, which surprised a lot of people because there was this idea that, well, you know, aren't they still going to be physically distanced? And isn't that going to be the hardest grade level to, you know, have the kids stay apart from each other? But the school that my nephew attends, what they said was that we're not going to be unreasonable with the children like their social emotional well-being is important and um so what we're going to do is that rather than trying to um in effect put in force measures to you know have the students you know keep a certain distance apart and all of these kind of things what we're going to do is we're going to create class bubbles so basically you know in effect the class members and their families become a community where, um, you know, they are relying on each family taking full responsibility to make sure that they are taking the necessary precautions outside of school to ensure that there's no chance that anything could be taken into the school classroom. So, you know, it's basically on a tr- on a trust contract where, you know, there is an understanding that, okay, if you're sending your child into school, because at the beginning, it wasn't, um, you know, like, not everyone had to go in. So at the beginning, they had two weeks where you had a choice of sending your child in or continuing the online learning. Um, And so, you know, there was this assumption that you're not going to, you know, expose yourself unnecessarily to to any opportunity of, of, you know, getting the disease. So, so that was the first two weeks, then by the sort of third week the teachers realized that okay do you know what it's really too too much to try and maintain the online learning and be fully present for the for the students that are in the classroom so they sent a note out to the parents to say 
you know, we're not going to be continuing the online learning in the same way. So, you know, it will just become the equivalent of, you know, just sending out worksheets and, you know, the teacher will check the work, but it will literally be a smiley face or a sad face. It's not going to be, you know, more constructive feedback than that. And um, so in the end, all the parents decided to send their kids. So now, you know, we're in a situation where as far as, you know, I'm concerned personally, we are just, you know, relying on people being sensible and taking responsibility for the health of not only their own families, but also the families of all of the children that are in their class. Absolutely a huge layer of trust there. Um, you know, and, and, and the no matter no matter what returning to school looks like, there's always that asymptomatic period that, you know, I'm, I'm going about my normal because we all have to go to the grocery store. You may have to go to the bank. You may have to go to a doctor's appointment. I mean, there's some, it's inevitable to, you can't avoid getting out of the house and taking care of just routine business. Um, so, you know, we come home and we're fine and we continue to go to school and we think we're fine. Um, and so where I'm going with that is I love, um, you know, that that class bubble, so to speak, so that in the unfortunate event that someone does fall ill in that group, you can automatically say it's limited to that group. Um and I was thinking about what you were saying, like with the the younger kids returning to school. I, I think that's going to be a consistent, probably, decision um, in the states for sure. Because as people return to work, um, if you have to choose between a younger child and an older child staying home, which one are you going to choose? So some of these decisions, the the underlying fabric. Um, is based on economical decisions um, and 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 what what makes sense to get an environment back into a normal routine. Exactly, and I think um, you know, like I said, one size won't fit all. You know, it's it's really going to have to depend a lot on what the community is doing, and you know, like what is the state of the. I guess, you know, it's going to come down a lot, I think, to like, you know, socioeconomics, as you say, because if the parents of the children in your local community, you know, need to go to work and they have to physically leave their homes in order to retain employment, it changes the dynamic somewhat compared to, you know, the schools in Saudi Arabia, for example, and just to give you another global example, where, um, you know, the figure that was quoted to me is that 99% of the children that attend that international school have a stay at home mum. And so, you know, there isn't necessarily that sort of pressure that, oh, you know, we, we want to send our kids back to the school building because, you know, if we don't, then we can't go to work. And then, you know, we don't have a home for the you know children to be in so um so you know it really it really depends on that and and you know in that school they've sort of decided that what they're going to do is that they're going to change the online timetable to be in blocks 
so basically rather than having um subject specialist teachers sort of running a whole day every day um as they might have done in in the school building there's going to be um a block system that runs over the week and that um you know they're going to make some quite fundamental changes in terms of ensuring that true interdisciplinary teaching is happening um and that you know there's a lot more project-based learning and there's a lot more focus on um, these kind of things but then in the afternoons there will potentially be um you know sort of other systems in place and the school day will definitely finish earlier in order to, to accommodate any students that um, have special educational needs that need counseling that you know sort of the the sort of taking care of the students time Mm -hmm. Um, one-to-one meetings with teachers you know with your homeroom teacher and things like that will happen in the afternoon so um so as I say you know there's a lot of talk about how to deal with those kind of things and then to give another example in um a school that I'm speaking with in America actually um you know an idea has been proposed of okay so how would it look if for example specialist teachers such as physical education teachers the PE teachers or um, art teachers were able to hold classes in the school campus but because you know with physical education like it could be done outdoors um, so then physical distancing could potentially be you know like it could be sort of administered you know it could be um, adhered Mm -hmm. to then, you know, how would that look? And, you know, what would it look like if we were to invest our money um, into, you know, large canvases, for example, for artwork or, you know, um, create scenarios where drama can be, you know, enacted in a way that they're still in the same physical space, but they're keeping the six feet apart. And, you know, sort of just trying to be a little bit creative with these different sort of subject disciplines, if you like so that the students for their social well-being do actually get to share the same physical space at some point during the day or during the week so um so there's you know people people are starting to get more creative with their ideas and i i do see the outdoor landscape being mm, heavily utilized um, as we return to school um, when when the weather is not a factor um, you know, like you said, the, the outdoor PE, um, and even think about that, that large canvas for a minute, or, oh gosh, there's just so many different ideas and, and the project-based learning, um, kids thrive best when, when you take the lid off the box, when you when you peel back the parameters and allow them to think freely instead of I came up with this lesson and I want you to come along with me. How about the kids drive the learning and we go along with them? Um, and, and so when kids are working, it's a blended environment or at home um, or even at school with a shortened day or the block schedule, whatever it comes out to be. Um, I, I think it does need to be more student driven learning, mastery learning, and not so 
performance driven where it's measured by a test. Um, I, I, I'd love to see, and I, I'd be shocked if conversations aren't already happening about um, shifting standardized testing and what what does what does it look like. But there's so many conversations to happen before we even get to that point, Kavita. I I'm just really appreciative that we were able. Um, to take our listeners on this journey, um, literally around the globe, and to just listen to and soak in some of the the different discussions. How surprisingly, in some regions, I'm learning more and more. Uh, thankfully, we're not impacted by COVID nineteen the way so many areas have been. So that is very fortunate. When we say global pandemic, I think people there's this automatic assumption that the mortality rate is high no matter what part of the world you live in. And that fortunately is not the case. Um, so so that, that brings me a little tiny sliver of hope, um, you know, that, that there are some places that did not have to shut down, that, that school was still able to um, keep going. And, you know, we take so many things for granted. I think that's one thing I've learned and taken away from all of this is that, we expect normal to be the way things always are. Um, you know, this being thrown into remote learning and the crisis and the global pandemic, you know, we, we thought would never happen. Um, but I think it was, I'm not going to, the, the realization that the opportunities we have are so precious and to not take them for granted um, has, has just been a, a reset button for a lot of people. So what do we do with that next becomes the conversation. Like you said, is it is it inquiry-based and project-based and exploratory learning? Is it mastery learning? Is it um, creative opportunities? Is it restructuring the way roles look within the school building. Um, so many wonderful conversations need to happen. And I just can't wait to see um, how it all plays out. And I'd love for us to get back together um, closer when school starts and, and have another conversation from, from where we are right now and the conversation we've had today on Friday Fundamentals. What does it look like when places around the world are preparing to, and I know some places were all on different time schedules, but um, what does it look when the majority of the population is preparing to return to school? What decisions and conversations have been solidified from, from now to then? So I think we need to make a deal to make sure that we, we get back together and for this conversation, pick up where we left off and see where we are um, as we get closer to school. Would you would you do that with me? I'm more than happy to do that. I would love to be involved in that conversation. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Kavita, I certainly do appreciate your global perspective and, and the work that Inspire Citizens is doing. And let's tell our listeners how they can connect with you and Inspire Citizens and just see the work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much, because um, actually you mentioned sort of mastery learning and we um, on our website, we have information up about our master teacher endorsement. So, um, you know, if teachers are interested um, 
in sort of getting involved and learning more about what it might look like to do more project-based learning in the classroom and very much driven by some of the things that I mentioned um, in our last episode but also you know sort of leading to that action piece and empowering students having more student-led learning more student agency all of these things they'll find all of that on the website inspirecitizens.org and you can email me directly um, at kavita at inspirecitizens.org or you can find me on twitter at kavita tana all right well miss kavita tana (laughs) we had such a great time we always have such a wonderful time talking together i'm so glad that um we connected and listeners you don't know this story unless you listen to some previous episodes but um kavita and i actually met um because of school rubric that was our connecting piece um school rubric is if if you want another organization to look through global lenses you definitely need to follow and connect with um school rubric so Kavita and I were both in the same webinar and there was kind of a after webinar session kind of conversation that we just, we really, really connected and, and have been together ever since. So um, that being said, Kavita, before we do close, um, let, let's share, especially like younger educators and not even just younger educators, but the importance of connecting um with people outside of your bubble, with people outside of your circle of, of, of people that you know, why do you feel like it's important to connect with other educators and seek the kinds of opportunities that, that you and I are experiencing right now? Why is that so important? I feel like, you know, this idea of all of us being together in this global pandemic can have a positive spin on it. You know, like as you pointed out, it's given you a real sense of hope that there are parts of the world that haven't been suffering the fatalities or the dis-ease or the, you know, the, the disease of coronavirus, but also the dis-ease of, you know, being in lockdown and and everything that's, you know, being a part of that experience. And I And I think that that's, you know, a fundamental part of, building relationships as you say you know with this global perspective because when when we do that when we get to understand and hear the stories of others oftentimes it inspires us oftentimes it gives us a sense of hope but also it means that we can create a deeper understanding about human beings about the the human race that we're all a part of and and you know with with the idea that you know right now there's a spotlight being put on to how fragmented society can be or has been or is you know um we we really can sort of find a way to rise above that and to find solidarity to create friendships and you know in our case you know soul sisters (laughs) you know long, Mm -hmm. long relationships you know um, and I would say that during this time, I've been fortunate enough that I've built up a really close network of around 50 people that, you know, if if I hadn't done that, I think it would have been a lot more difficult to get through this time. It would have been mm. a lot more difficult to sort of, you know, be in a position where I literally, I realized on Monday that I hadn't gone out of my front door 
for a month and you know like I literally had stayed in my home um and just not stepped out of that front door it felt like such a strange sensation to walk out of that door Uh and you know Uh and I really think that it's been because I've built this community around me that I've been able to do that and and to feel okay and to you know feel good about things even though I am a little bit in the weeds with you know sort of trying to support people as much as I can through you know some of the difficult situations that we're facing and and you know getting involved in some of the more difficult conversations so I would really recommend that people make the effort to to connect with with new people as you say outside of their typical circles um and just yeah just be that lifelong learner that we hope to inspire our students to be Be that lifelong learner, absolutely, and model that, like she just said, um, like we inspire our students. We inspire our students by being that lifelong learner, like she just said, and and how beautiful is it that, in a different conversation for another time, but um, in America, we're dealing with um, racial crisis at an all-time high. But how beautiful would it be for me to be able to go into my classroom and and share cultures um, in in completely different countries? And, you know, through the connections of school rubric, through talking to you, Kavita, that's how we broaden our worldview and our lenses. So, oh, listeners, yes, choose, choose to broaden your lenses, choose to connect with people beyond the bubble um, and, and just watch what happens in the new relationships that flourish because uh, Kavita is absolutely right when she said soul sisters. We, we've had conversations. We've carved out time to talk to each other that has not been for a recording session. So here's someone that she and I met on a school rubric webinar, and we have actually built a friendship, not just a social media PLN relationship. No, we have built a friendship. And so be intentional about that. If you haven't thought about that, think about that. And if you think about it and you decide to go forward and step outside of your bubble and your comfort zone and and follow Kavita on Inspire Citizens and on Twitter and follow School Rubric and, and make some connections beyond your comfort zone, let Kavita and I know that. Tag us on Twitter. Uh, she's Kavita Tana on Twitter. I'm Tracy Browder on Twitter. Tag us and let us know how you're expanding your network. We would love to hear about it and have conversations around it and celebrate you. And uh, you can continue to go on this journey with us of broadening your worldview. Right, Kavita? Exactly, Tracy. I would love to hear from people that have decided to take that step and and what their experiences are because um, I run a um, book club and, and I'm hoping that in our next conversation we get can get into some of the information in that book because you kind of alluded to it in terms of how we understand the world and, and you know, the sort of um, instinct that we have to sort of, you know, assume that you know everyone's having a similar experience to us and um you know in that group is is someone that you've just described quite aptly that took that chance and said you know what let me see what's going on on twitter let me see you know who i might bump into who i might connect with and now and Mm -hmm. now she's very quickly becoming a good friend too so so i really do recommend it you never know what you're going to learn you never know what you're going to experience and you never know the relationships that you're going to build 
And on that note, that was a perfect ending. Thank you, Kavita. <laughs> we, we need to switch roles. You, you, you can kind of run the podcast episode. That was a really great closing. <laughs> I do so. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, friends, Kavita and I would like to thank you for joining us at Intelligogy the Podcast on Friday Fundamentals, where together we are disrupting educational normalcy. Until next time, friends. Thank you, Kavita. Thank you, Tracy.